Hey, nerds, really cool announcement before we get started. As you heard last week, we had an anonymous donor contact us, and they are donating $500 to our local Legend Comics and coffee comic book store to help them through this COVID-19 crap that we're all suffering through. They have also offered to match your donations to your local comic book store, be it Legend or wherever you are. All you need to do is send us a PayPal receipt that shows you made the donation so we can check that the comic shop is real and they will match another $500. They're doing this all for the month of May. So give until it hurts, and let's save our local comic book shops. You can send your receipts to twoheadednerd at gmail.com with the subject, LCS Donation. This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and supporting listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter today. Ha-cha! Broadcasting from the ever-quarantined ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area. Ain't nobody getting sick down here, and it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 572 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast nerds my name is matt bomb and i'm not going to tell you this again i mean just by benefit of being buried underground we're kind of yeah quarantined we're, we're by default even the moloids as filthy as they are we don't have to worry about them getting exposed yeah stuff. they don't go above ground yeah i mean and, and if they do we kill them they're very expendable they don't have any feelings <laughs> right well everybody knows that moloids don't feel pain yeah like fish and infants. Uh, yeah, uh, d- little puppies. <laughs> I am the Internet's Joe Patrick, and no, I do not believe that puppies don't feel pain. This week, we're riding and roping through the Old West as we point our review spotlight on Western comics. Yee-hoo! After that, it's up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we're going to tell you all about what we're reading next week. Joe, we have a problem. There are some new comics that are trickling out. Don't care, don't care. <laughs> okay, as long as you don't, I don't either. And finally, May is here, so it's time for a huge summer crossover event. One problem, there are no new comics, but that's not going to stop us. We'll be giving you the TLDR version of the first Marvel limited series crossover event Contest of Champions! But before we start smashing our hero action figures into our other hero action figures, let's fight about this week's Nerd News. Nerd News? See, it loses some of the impact when you don't shout it, and then I have to follow that up. You know, what am I supposed I to know, do? You know I know, I know. I do it to throw you off. Yeah, it's I'm working. Tr- I'm trying to keep it on your toes. It's working. Thor, Love and Thunder, writer slash director Taika Waititi has signed on to write and direct a Star Wars film. This was announced on StarWars.com just this week. Waititi has been rumored to be in talks to helm a Star Wars movie for some time. Uh, He flat out denied those rumors. He played very coy (laughs) uh, about the possibility and if it would even actually come to pass. He did direct the acclaimed finale of The Mandalorian season one, as well as voicing the character IG-11. Waititi will co-write the script with 1917 writer Christy Wilson Cairns. Obviously, we have no details about the plot. I suspect there will be no Skywalkers involved. I, I suspect that this will be standalone. I think, 
I'm not going to go on a tirade about how, like, oh, they learned their lesson after the last piece of shit no, of trilogy. Not. I'm not that guy, I, and I'm not going to say that. I did like the last trilogy. I don't need another trilogy. I'm fine with Taika Waititi doing a standalone Star Wars movie because so far my favorite of the most recent Star Wars movies is the standalone. Yeah, Rogue One. Rogue One. Well, they also it's did Solo, but... <laughs> Which well, I think Solo's it great. It was fine. It's got, a, it's got was... a lot of dumb, cheesy bits, but I it's think Solo's not, a very fun movie. It's not great, but I thought it was fine. Uh, Rogue, Rogue One, however, One, is a masterpiece. Yeah, it truly. And I almost think we just need to go there. We don't need to worry about the trilogy. Yes, there was a trilogy and it led into other movies. Great. That doesn't have to be the rule. Yeah, well, just make movies. Sure, but I mean, even if they... like. Whether you loved or hated the the modern trilogy, it's over. Disney has said from the very beginning, this yeah. is the end of the saga you've been following since the beginning. Right, so, and we don't need to do it again or try and recreate it. There's no like, reason to. If they have a story for another trilogy, I'm down. But yeah, I, I, I'm not expecting them. I, would, I will be upset if they come back on that and reveal that it's like, it's a side story about... Uh, uh, you know, Ray's dad <laughs> or right. whatever. There's no reason to force it yeah. is, is all we're saying. They, did, they did foreshadow some stuff in Rise of Skywalker, which I just rewatched today. The the biggest thing being... Um, the black actress. Yeah, Jana. And Billy Jana, Williams. And Billy that D. Williams. That was a little forced, too. He's like, you want to find out your story? Maybe we should, baby. <laughs> yeah. You're black? I'm black. <laughs> We're the only two black. Oh, wait. Finn's black, too, but he's a clone. Or no, he's a... Well, he wasn't a clone, right? He was kidnapped no. as a baby. Nah, we, they, they, we got rid of that. They're yeah, not yeah. clones anymore. Now <laughs> you're yeah. just like... No. Now you're just a stormtrooper. I guess so. Which I guess what, what I'm be. saying is, like, if they, if they have stories to tell featuring established characters that have nothing to do with the ongoing mythology of the Skywalker family. I'm fine with that. Sure. Um, but if they want to introduce some new concepts, I'm even more excited about that. Yeah, we don't need to force it. That's all we're saying. Yeah. From the Kickstarter desk, for over two years, best-selling writers Jeff Lemire and Matt Kent and internationally acclaimed artist David Rubin have worked in secret on an all-new original graphic novel, the book titled Cosmic Detective is an epic science fiction mystery that asks when a god is murdered, who solves the crime? Well, of course, you got to call the Cosmic Detective. A god is found dead. Foul play is suspected. But who investigates the murder of a god? Not just anyone. That's for damn sure. Enter our detective. He's got a wife, a kid, and a seemingly normal day job as a private eye. He's getting too old for this shit. Yeah, he's getting way too old for this shit. <laughs> he's been working for a secret underground cabal of shadowy figures, an organization committed to an uneasy alliance with cosmic forces beyond our imagining. This sounds so fucking cool. When you get Lemire and Kent together, crazy shit happens. And it's it true. is wonderful. It's true. Now, they... They haven't worked together on anything for quite a while. Right? Uh, they are occasional collaborators, but this is their first creator-owned work uh, together. I'm so I'm so excited for this. This looks amazing. Uh, we'll David, have a link to this. David Rubin uh, drew Ether, which we loved. It was uh, beautiful. It's so good. Yeah. Uh, he also did a uh, he did a spinoff, uh, a Black Hammer spinoff. He did uh, Sherlock Frankenstein. 
Yes. And it so, was so good. Matt They're Kent, very close friends, and yeah. they've worked together before several times. Right. Uh, Matt Kent is uh, describing this. He's saying that this it's a crime story that channels Jack Kirby, David Lynch, and Raymond Chandler. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it, it, quote, it's a story grounded in, in noir that ultimately becomes absolutely cosmic bonkers insane. <laughs> Totally in. I can't wait. wait. I can't wait. This. It's going to be an oversized deluxe hardcover. It's uh, obviously going to have a bunch of like uh, stretch rewards and pledge rewards. We will, as you started to say, link to this in the show notes. The Kickstarter is going now. They have already blown past the goal. Yeah. Uh, but I definitely want this book. They've actually blown so far past their goal that this is probably just going to go straight to major motion picture. So kick ass. Yeah. Either fine. Way. Totally great. <laughs> I'm in. Totally great. Joe Patrick, we have a problem. Yeah, we do. Marvel Comics is coming back. <laughs> it's true. Uh, after after several weeks absent from the shelves, Marvel has outlined its plans to resume shipping weekly comics following uh, the extended break due to the coronavirus. Blah blah blah. We all know. What's I had going not on. heard about that. I Don't you? That yeah, you didn't hear. Yeah. No. Uh, Marvel will begin releasing new titles starting May 27th with what it calls a quote balanced release schedule end quote aimed at publishing comics quote again in the most thoughtful way we can for fans <laughs> creators and the industry during these unpredictable times boy let me tell you how tired i am of hearing how brands care about me in quote these unpredictable times <laughs> so let's just let's just read through the lines real quick here what it basically means is we want to test the market to see if anyone is a like has the balls to go to their comic shop and buy new comics. So well, we're going to release a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but we're not going to take any major risks just in case people start dying again. Well, that's a pretty cynical way of looking at it. Another way of, but looking also at it, another way of looking at it is they understand that not every store will be able to reopen. Not every state will be open and not every store is equipped to do curbside or mail order. And so they are trickling out releases to start and ramping up as the weeks go. Uh, major titles like X-Men, Captain America, FF, Wolverine, uh, and the entirety of the Outlawed and Empire events uh, have not yet been, been rescheduled. But even looking at their first week's list, it is a far sight better than DC's first week of bullshit. <laughs> Daphne wait, Byrne, whoa, whoa, whoa. three Come reprints. On. What's wrong with reprints, man? <laughs> yeah, like, uh, yeah, like they're putting out some of their they're putting out some of their big like anticipated titles. I think there's a couple Dawn of X books in there, but yeah, they're just they're not they're not going all out and saying here's everything you missed while we were gone and flooding shops. The real story here is that you and I are going to have to accept the fact that new comic books are going to come back. And we are going to have to start reading them again. Um, I think the listeners are going to have to come to terms with the fact that I don't give a shit. <laughs> I don't know if you wanted to have this talk right here on the show in front of, you know, the internet and everybody. Can we, can we wait until we put the kids to bed, please? <laughs> to have <laughs> this argument. Is, Joe, we have a responsibility and we're going to have to get back to work sooner or later here. <laughs> um, it's true. It's they, true. And this coincides with... This coincides with uh, Diamond's 
uh, uh, announcement that they are resuming shipping as well. Uh, Marvel right. did not like sidestep them to to sign up with other distributors. Um, so I think you can expect a lot of the other companies to to have similar plans in the weeks ahead. I think it's I think it's a good plan. I think it's a nice measured plan. I I looked at their release list for the coming weeks, and it's like, yeah, oh, I forgot about that. I, I'd like to read that. So right. I will go back to new comics. Kicking and screaming. On May 27th. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Meanwhile, Diamond Comics, uh, as I said, outlined their plans to resume and their plans to publish a new previews catalog for resumed distribution. Uh, the new catalog will also drop on May 27th. It will feature all of the comics and products that were originally intended for May solicitation plus new items solicited for June, and they will have a targeted release date of uh, the month of August. Watch for that legal challenge to come from previews to DC because it's going to happen. I guarantee it. (laughs) It's an interesting time. It's an interesting time to follow the comics industry. We'll be reporting on that soon. (laughs) Yeah. That is your nerd news for the week, but I'm sure we missed plenty of other stories while camping outside of Legend Comics and Coffee to be the first in line for the new previews catalog. It's my favorite part of every week. Oh, man, I'll tell you what. And they're, they're so collectible. <laughs> so hit us up on the THN Forum's big news section or any of our social media outlets and talk to us about these stories or anything you think we missed. super western i'm going for it (laughs) (laughs) all right matt before we get started let's turn it over to the official thn bartender justin fletcher of okarant right here in omaha nebraska he's gonna hit us with the cocktail of the week justin the floor is yours all right nerds so since the uh, guys are talking western comics today i guess i want to talk about a drink from one of my favorite western shows named after uh, a line from one of my favorite Western movies. Um, so this drink would have been served in Deadwood, uh, which has a wonderful HBO show. If you haven't seen this thing, you should check it out. Um, this would have been a drink served in Deadwood, and it is called the Yellow Daisy. Now, because of my favorite love of Tombstone, we're going to call this drink a daisy if you do. So um, let's just uh, go with four ingredients here. We're going to start with like a Plymouth gin, one ounce of Plymouth gin. We're going to go then with one ounce of dry vermouth. We're going to go a half ounce of Grand Marnier. And then probably, um, if you had a, a, a eyedropper, probably about four drops of absinthe. We're going to put all of that stuff into a mixing glass, throw ice on top, Stir, 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 a good 45 seconds to a minute. Pour that into a coupe. I would probably express a orange over the top, though I wouldn't, wouldn't be opposed to a lemon either. A uh, little bit of orange, straight up, enjoy. Daisy if you do, the yellow daisy. First appeared in the Savoy cocktail book. Enjoy. Matt, with 
with drinks in hand, let's talk about some cowboy comics. Excelsior, brother. Excelsior. My first review is of Hex, number one, from DC <laughs> Comics, 1985. We are pushing it here, and I love it. I know. <laughs> A confu- oh, yeah, just wait until my Avengers review. A confused Jonah Hex wakes up in surroundings that seem familiar, only to find out he's in a simulation of the life he knew taking place. Just like Westworld. Yeah. It's exactly like Westworld. It kind of is. (laughs) Taking place hundreds of years in the future. Surprisingly, or maybe not, Hex is no less capable in this new world, and he promptly escapes, offering no greater reaction to the future wonders he's seeing than the occasional, what's that? Or, that looks weird. (laughs) <laughs> like he adapts very quickly <laughs> Yeah There's no freaking out whatsoever No, like, no. What are these screens and pictures <laughs> And robots And like nope he's just like Fuck all this murder yeah. <laughs> Hex was DC's thinly veiled attempt To capitalize on the popularity of Mad Max And they had a ready made star In Jonah Hex Hex is here with no explanation And Unless it presents itself later in this series, I don't think it's until a throwaway panel in Crisis on Infinite Earths number 12, six (laughs) months later, where we learn that the collapse of the multiverse is responsible for his predicament. Hex speaks with the kind of exaggerated southern drawl that drives Matt crazy. It happened in every book we read. Oh, God. Michael Fleischer's story is B-movie action silliness full of post-apocalyptic tropes like huge irradiated insects, mutant biker gangs, and deadly acid rain. The art by a young Mark Texiera is pretty great. Uh, You can definitely see the beginnings of the 90s superstar he would later become. Oh, yeah. Hex, number one, is a goofy fish-out-of-water story with a character that's way better suited for his original environment. But it's still kind of a fun novelty. I give, I'm giving it a skim it. Yeah, man, this is one of those how did it get made type moments. But Mark Texier's art is so fucking good. Yeah. It really is. This Like, it is a very cool looking comic. And I would argue for 1985, I don't think anything else looked like this on the stands. This was really cool looking. It's totally ham-fisted and stupid like this story is dumb it makes no sense whatsoever right but it was a lot of fun to read i'm also going to give it a skim it matt take us back to the introduction of ghost rider but not that ghost rider yeah there is quite the history here and we're going to get into it a little more later i actually don't think that this is the first appearance of that ghost rider either is it this is the first appearance of this ghost rider yes i thought that there was a 50s comic that was the Phantom Rider. Same character. Correct. But this was the first appearance of him named as the Ghost Rider, who would later be renamed again as the Phantom Rider. Well, and also they briefly called him the Knight Rider. Yes, and I don't know why any of that happened, <laughs> honestly. And there's no good history in why any of that happened either. I researched it. It's not out there. This is Ghost Rider number one from 1967 from Marvel Comics. Dick Ayers is on art here, and he is fantastic. Like, he is the master of Marvel Western comics. He drew everything Western. No, 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 no. No, oh, no. He, he Dick Ayers is not a name that you that people look back and go, yes, I loved his Western comics. 
I'm just saying, this dude drew a ton of Marvel Western this stuff. This guy was trying so hard to draw like Jack Kirby, it's not even funny. Oh, big time. But they, that was the time. Everyone was told they have to draw like Jack Kirby, even in the Western comics. And this is a Western superhero book. There's no question. This is the origin of Ghost Rider in the Old West. Gary Friedrich, Ghost Rider creator, and Roy Thomas are writing this, but Ayers also gets a plot credit, which well, you I know what? was interesting. Gary Friedrich is the creator of the Johnny Blaze Ghost Rider, not this I, Ghost Rider. He did not create this one. He created Johnny Blaze. Right. That is correct. <laughs> Vince Coletta is on inks. Like, this book is absolutely star-studded. All right, look, I feel like I need Jason Sachs to call in and weigh in on this because Vince Coletta is reviled among Silver Age fans <laughs> as the inker that ruins Jack Kirby art. He well, that is true. I will give you that. But he's also a famous name and he did a lot of great there stuff. There are yes, big names for sure. He also he just wasn't so great with Jack Kirby. I'll say that. He looks good here. There's no problems with his inking here. This is the first appearance of Carter Slade who becomes the ghost writer. Okay, so there may have been a different writer before this, but this is Carter Slade Ghost Rider. Carter sees some, he's a school teacher, by the way, that is coming to the Old West to teach school. He sees some white guys dressed as Indians causing a ruckus and decides he's going to intervene. But Carter is utterly useless in a fight, so much so that he gets killed really quick. <laughs> the script is fantastic and reads very much like Marvel superhero stuff at the time. There is a scene after Carter has been killed and the white guys versus Indians have burned the house that they were attacking where we discover that there's a little kid living in the cellar and the narration box says, then within the charred smoking remains, the farmhouse trapdoor slowly begins to creak open. The only sign of life in a mural of death and destruction. And this little kid crawls out and he finds Carter bleeding and dying. And instead of carrying him to the hospital, he goes the wrong way where Carter is discovered <laughs> by Indians. <laughs> and an Indian medicine man says, no, no, no. It's like the prophecy and shit. And we need to pray over this guy. And of course, a spirit enters his body. He becomes the ghost writer. They give him some weird glowy substance that he can rub all over his costume gotta be radioactive i'm guessing <laughs> it's okay he's a ghost carter turns into the ghost rider he goes back into town avenges uh well his would-be murder he didn't quite die fights off the white guys dressed like indians boom the ghost rider is born the coloring in this book is so bad this is back when they did not give a shit about coloring and everything bled into everything <laughs> it's crazy <laughs> but i gotta say i mean it was the 60s it was a western book but it very much read like a superhero book and i had a lot of fun with this i am giving the first appearance of this ghost rider i'll buy it okay i'm i'm trying to figure this out it's bizarre the history is really weird because it goes this go there was like there was a night rider, a ghost rider and a phantom rider. But this right. is credited as the first appearance of the ghost rider okay, in 1967. Okay. So, in 1950 there was a comic book called The Ghost Rider. 
Right. It was created for magazine enterprises in 1949. It starred a character uh, named Rex Fury. And he looks exactly the same as this dude. Yeah, pretty much. So Marvel would take their design and Dick Ayers, who was the co-creator. And then Carter Slade. This is the first appearance of Carter Slade. Right. So the first Ghost Rider was not a Marvel character at all. No. This is the Ghost Rider that goes on to be the Phantom Rider, who we will talk about in a little bit. Yes, we will. Um, <laughs> uh, so something that I found when I was uh, researching this, as you were talking, uh, this character, Carter Slade, was mishmashed uh, with the caretaker character from the Johnny Ketch, uh, from the Danny Ketch Ghost Rider, and was played by Sam Elliott in the Ghost Rider movie. <laughs> Oh, my God. So this guy, Carter Slade, ended up being in a movie. Perfect. Uh, look, I, you know what? I read this. I fucking hated it. I hated it. I oh, man. I thought it was kind of fun in like an old school Western meets superhero. Kind it of was so racist. <laughs> well, of course I was at uh, the time. <laughs> um, so I read, I read uh, one of your other picks first, which was also drawn by Dick Ayers. Right. And so I thought his art was uh, it that comic came later. Um but I I did not really care for his art. I thought it was a bad Jack Kirby homage. Uh there was a backup story drawn by John Severin starring Kid Colt. Oh, see, I didn't have the backup story in the one that I read. And I only got this one. And that that guy to me is like the go-to western guy at Marvel. Now, I'm sure Dick Ayers has his fans. I did not love this. <laughs> I'm giving it a leave it. It's, it's, I love really? the, I, I, yeah. Like I love the idea. Like I love the character. I'm upset. I was obsessed with the character as a kid because he was in the Marvel handbook book of the dead. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my God, he's a cowboy ghost that can turn parts of his body invisible. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know. I, this didn't do it for me. I got to give it a leave it. Wow. Okay. I Sorry. Had fun with I, I was cranky about it. I was just like, this yeah, is, you really were. God damn. Well, part of it was also because uh, I knew what was going to happen to this character. Essentially. <laughs> That's not, that is not Carter Slade's fault. All okay? right. <laughs> we'll get into that. My next review, fittingly enough, is of West Coast Avengers number 18. It's oh, also boy. from Marvel. 1986 was the year. This is actually part two of the infamous story where the West Coast Avengers travel back to the Wild West and Mockingbird is basically roofied by the Phantom Rider. <laughs> Full on. <laughs> uh, a lot has been said about this storyline, including a total retcon of the events in Chelsea Kane's Mockingbird series. You can look that up. Uh, on its own, though, I thought it was a pretty fun adventure and it's such a classic. Like, it felt like a... Like, even comparing it to the main Avengers book at the time, this felt like such a throwback to just, like, cheesy superhero adventure stories. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Like, there was a bunch of Western-themed supervillains. Yeah. All of which were previously existing. I can only assume that this is, like, just a love letter to that stuff yeah. that they were doing. Right. Where they and were like, hey, nobody appreciates this. I want to I wanna write this story with these characters. Now, why they do what they do to the Phantom Rider. I don't know. I, I do not. They essentially make him a rapist. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yes. Uh, like, I mean, it's, really it's obviously. Do. 
it's obviously very glossed over in the pages of this child's comic from the mid 80s. But like, you know, he did. Why do you include that, though? That's I, the thing that blows my mind. I don't know. I don't know why they went that way. Um, it, it also it like it leads to the storyline where uh, uh, she lets him die and Hawkeye divorces her right. and she gets kicked yeah, out of the Hawkeye's Avengers. Like, Nobody should treat a rapist like this. Yeah, I want a divorce. It's it's a wild, wild character choice. And it was something that followed Mockingbird around for years to come. Yeah. But I don't get and Hawkeye, by the way. Not yeah, just yeah, Mockingbird. Yeah. Like, look, Mockingbird, sure, she let the guy die. He raped her. Okay. So I kind of get it. Hawkeye, you're just a prick at that point. Sure. Like, oh, you're mad that your wife let his her rapist die? <laughs> like, fuck you. Avengers don't kill Matt until the movie comes out. Then they all kill. Yeah, then they all start killing. <laughs> but I just thought that this was like, this is a fun romp written by Steve Englehart, legendary artists, Al Milgram and Joe Sinnott, who is, everybody knows, the best Jack Kirby inker of all time. As Hank Pym struggles through a dark night of the soul, the West Coast Avengers are thrust back in time uh, that some of them remember all too well. With one with daring gunfighters and superpowered desperados. It's not the first rodeo for some members of the team, but they are comically at odds with one another, with Iron Man and Wonder Man competing to see who's the smartest. Uh, <laughs> we already said that stuff about Mockingbird and the and the controversial finale. On its own, though, I had a ton of fun reading this issue. Yes, it's part two, but part one, like each issue was a standalone kind of time travel story. So right, each one's in a different right. era. This is the one with the cowboys in it. It had a very Silver Age feel, which I really appreciated, even in 1986. It's an iconic era for the Avengers on both coasts with events that would shape some characters for years to come. West Coast Avengers 18 gets a buy it. Okay, so the version, there were two versions that I found, and one was a recolored one, and the other one was, the other version I found was scans of the original one. And at first I thought, wow, this recoloring is not doing Al Milgram any favors. And then I went and looked at the original one, and it turns out that Al Milgram's art is bad. <laughs> it's just oh, bad. No, I'm like sorry. Art. There is some really really weird stuff going on here, especially with faces. There's a scene where like Hawkeye is talking to Mockingbird and his face is turned in such a way that we're seeing more of it than is even possible in physical reality. <laughs> it looks bizarre. <laughs> like the art is not good. I like and it. I, I remember like thinking of Al Mel. I remember thinking of Al Milgram as a very classic kind of artist, but there are panels here that are just bad, really bad. Uh, the story is fun. I think, I think Al Milgram is usually more favorably regarded as an inker than a penciler. I think so too. I think you're absolutely right. The story is fun and ridiculous. I cannot understand why they made some of the choices they made for the Phantom Rider, other than maybe maybe the Phantom Rider scared Steve Englehart as a kid, so he decided I'm gonna ruin this fucking character forever. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's it. it. I'm giving it a skim it. We are torn this week. All right. Back to DC for your next one. Yeah, this one goes back to 1977. This is Weird Western Tales number 39 from DC, the first appearance 
of Scalp Hunter. Now, like, Scalp Hunter is not a character that is, you know, well, like, I'm not going to say well regarded, but even famous. We'll say that. But I was reading in doing my research because I don't know shit about Western comics. I'll be real honest. And going back and looking for stuff that is worth reading, I found a bunch of creators saying, man, this Scalp Hunter run, this old Western Scalp Hunter run is so good. You got to check it out. And so I was like, fuck it. Let's do it. Let's read about Scalp Hunter super badass opening to this one. <laughs> Dick Ayers is on art on this one too. And the book opens with the main character, Scalp Hunter with Bowie knife in hand in shackles, leaping with a son in the background, mouth open, ready to murder, <laughs> ready to hunt some scalps. <laughs> There's a box that says, this is the tale of an outcast of a man who lived in two worlds, but was at home in neither. The Kiowa named him. He who is less than human. White men called him Scalp Hunter, and this is his story. <laughs> That's a good opening. Yeah, he's a white dude that was kidnapped by Indians as you a mean, kid. When I got to that part, I was like, what? Yeah, Scalp Hunter is white? <laughs> yep, and raised as an Indian, and he fucking hates white people <laughs> oh yeah dude he hates whitey <laughs> this is written by mac uh michael fleischer who is also very notable for some of his work on specter and jonah hex he writes the first and also here. hex let's yeah, not and forget also hex yes the story opens with a medicine man preying on an indian burial ground when these white thugs shoot him and come to steal and rob the graves the thugs are chased off by a group of kiowa indians but a group of u.s cavalrymen see the thugs being chased by the injuns as they call them and of course come to their aid they gun the braves down but one is left alive and when they turn him over they look at him and they go this dude's totally a white guy. Yeah. <laughs> From there, they take Scalp Hunter back to the doctor where they discover a birthmark on him. It turns out this is Brian Savage, the missing son of local rich white guy, Matt Savage. Ayers draws Scalp Hunter like a full head taller than everyone else in this book. He's massive and he's a killing machine scalp hunter not only does not want to be white and i get that but he wants to kill white folks too his dad is dying and they take him to meet his dad to see if he recognizes him to see if this is actually the kid and dad lays out the story of how his son was kidnapped by the kiowa as a child scalp hunter then says screw you you're not my dad this is bullshit gets carried away and sentenced to prison which he promptly murders his way out of. <laughs> From there, he tracks down the grave robbers, kills two of them, and forces one of them to admit to the grave robbery in court. The judge says, boom, full pardon, not a problem. Keep in mind, Scalp Hunter has murdered a like, lot of people. I, there, is literally, there is literally a line of dialogue that's something to the effect of, he crushed his throat with his chains. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like he Scalp crushes Hunter, a dude's throat with his manacles. This dude does not fuck around. He's essentially yeah. like a Western Punisher kind of, but maybe for the wrong reasons because they don't show that like the Indians brainwashed him or anything. He did kidnap him as a child. Yeah. And I he mean, was raised as an Indian. He has a bit of Stockholm syndrome, right? 
I suppose. And like, yeah, the Indians are pretty much mistreated by the white folks at this time. But at the end of the day, Scalp, Scalp Hunter is a cold-blooded murderer. Yeah, like a remorseless, <laughs> a remorseless killing machine. But this is a great classic Western. It's got great art, a super fun intro to a sort of Western take on the Punisher, I guess. Maybe more of like a... Dances with Wolves. If Kevin Costner was a psychopath, he's kind of like he's kind of like the Western version of Dave Chappelle's blind black white supremacist. Sort of, yes. Like, I'm not white. Uh, I'm I'm giving it a skim it because it was fun to read and it was completely ridiculous and they basically made this man a killing machine for real great reason yeah yeah uh i'm giving it a skim it as well it's pretty problematic uh in yes. in terms of uh race relations um uh but i did think that the story was pretty cool and yeah. um let me flip your lid here because as i was reading this things started to feel familiar to me. And I know that at this point in the review, Brian Domingos is screaming at his radio <laughs> because, uh, Brian Savage, son of Matt Savage would later be reincarnated as Matt O'Dare corrupt cop in James Robinson's Starman. What? And I had totally forgotten about that plot point. Really? Yeah, yeah. Matt O'Dare is the reincarnation of Scalp Hunter. I thought they were hack. They were hawk people. No, not the O'Dares. Hawk people. No. Yeah. Was it the other people in the old west that were reincarnated hawk people? Well, that yeah, that's Hawkman and Hawk Girl. That was um, what was his name? I forget his. I forget his name. She was like Cinnamon. Was her was her code oh, name? Oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. And he had he, he was like a Nighthawk. Maybe he had like that's a, right. He had like a yeah. black shirt with a bird on it. Yeah. No. Okay. Um, Matt O'Dare from Starman is the reincarnation of Scalp Hunter, and when he learns of his heritage, um, at some point in the book, uh, he starts to turn his life around and become a better cop and a, and a better brother. Uh and a hero and it's part in part because he is the reincarnation of this western hero uh let me take it one further that's too cool <laughs> when spoiler alert matt odair dies he is reincarnated again in the 31st century as Starboy <laughs> of the legion of superheroes <laughs> which of course it makes perfect sense. <laughs> who would who would go back in time as an adult and join the JSA as the new Starman? Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, from that run from that relaunch of Justice Society of America that Jeff Johnson Dale Eaglesham did. Oh, next time on Scalp Hunter Cast, Joe and I are going to take a deep dive. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, so I'm reading this book and key elements are popping into my brain and I'm like Holy shit, this is the best. It's <laughs> <laughs> insane. I had no fucking clue. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, to a back to a character that's maybe a little less uh, continuity heavy. <laughs> my next review is of Rawhide Kid number 1 from Marvel Max in 2003. Yeah, that's the one. It was Maximum because he was queer. He was gay. He he was queer. <laughs> yeah, he was queer. 
I remember Marvel putting so much marketing hype behind this relaunch of their classic oh, Western yeah. character and doing it in an absolutely gross way. You see, it's the character you remember, but now he's gay. <laughs> Plus, the addition of the explicit content tag is completely ridiculous. Like, I get it. 2003 was a different era, even though it doesn't seem like that long ago. But Marvel was just like finally breaking free of the comics code and starting to take more chances. But there were already explicit comics out there that were way more explicit. There than is this nothing shit. explicit about this comic. Literally nothing. It's like it, you put an explicit tag on something like, oh, there's going to be dicks in this. Yeah, swinging dicks. Like, that's my first thought. Yeah, like, no. okay, oh, he's gay. That's how you're billing it. Like, we're yeah, going to see explicit. butt sex. You know, he, he's, <laughs> Here he's, we gay, go. he's gay in front of little children, which is even worse. <laughs> Uh, in reality, this is just a very simple story of a character that you may recall from the past with just an added bit of character depth. Yeah. Writer Robert Zimmerman was a frequent presence in the early 2000s Bill Jameis era of Marvel Comics. Yeah. His script is a mixed bag of decent Western action and heavy-handed innuendo referencing the kid's newly revealed sexuality and an odd reliance on old pop culture references, such yeah. as the Lone Ranger. Like as though the Lone Ranger is a thing in the Marvel universe. Well, no, I mean it was on the it was on TV. At the no, time no, no. They were the like, West. you know, the Lone Ranger, and he's like, yeah, I met him. Yeah, I mean, of course. I mean, I'm just saying that like that was a huge hit in the Old West on television at the time that the Rawhide Kid was growing up. Everybody watched that on TV. Yeah, obviously, everybody had a TV in the Old West. <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean, Sorry. it was black and white. Took me sure, a second. Took back. me a second to catch up with what you were doing, but I'm there with you. <laughs> okay. Uh, but also, like Little House on the Prairie, yeah, like I... the school teacher is literally named Laura Ingalls, and she's from Walnut Grove. <laughs> yes. Uh, it all ends up being a little too cute, and the kids' status is relegated to a little bit more than a joke, as townsfolk keep commenting on how he's such a snappy dresser. The art by the legendary John Severin saves the story, and it proves that he never lost a step in his six-plus decades in the business. Absolutely. Rawhide Kid Number 1 is a cheeky character piece that treats its lead's sexual identity as a novelty instead of a chance for real development, but the amazing art elevates a mediocre story. I'm giving it a skimmit. You, you know, I'm going to say this story was ahead of its time in the sense that, like, I'm glad they were doing this, but they needed Mark Russell to nail this. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just it doesn't have the nuance. Like, it, like exactly, it doesn't. It, it comes, it comes off as a shtick, and not like well executed. If you want to do comedy like this, and you want to do this tongue in cheek thing, no offense to Robert Zimmerman, you just need a better writer. It's that simple. Yeah, and I, again, like I, I know it's a, a, it's a tricky line to walk in terms of sure. marketing, but you want to make the character gay? I'm fine. And I'll give him props for doing so. You're like, using cool. it to sell books, and you're making it a joke in the book. But even then, I'm okay with that if you do it well. And they just, they maybe didn't. they didn't have the right guy to do so. I'm giving it skimming as well, because again. They were trying. I see like, them trying. I mean, here. maybe the rest of the mini is better. I don't know. No, I only read the I, first I, issue. But. I read the whole thing. It was fine at best. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, it's an, it's an interesting artifact in the age of comics trying to, like, expand their horizons. Right. 
My next review is of Desperado's number one from Image Homage Comics, 1997. I believe Homage was like a branch of Wildstorm. Is that right? It was, and it was the imprint where Astro Astro City got its start. Okay, that's true. I forgot about this comic, so much so that I texted Joe to see if he could remember the title because I knew that there was this awesome fucking supernatural Western book that I read in the late 90s, but then it vanished. Jeff Marriott writes the story, and a very young John Cassidy is on art here. I think, and I'm not positive, but this may have been the first John Cassidy work? Um, I'm going to say no, but I'll look that up while you keep talking. Okay. It starts as a very run-of-the-mill kind of Western with a small group of near-do-wells, a whore, a liberated slave, and a mercenary all playing cards in a saloon. There's a barroom brawl that ensues. An innocent woman gets shot. But the story quickly turns to the group tracking a serial killer with some supernatural ties. Cassidy was amazing on art here and like this is the first time this may not have been his first work but this is the first time i remember meeting him as an artist and he leveled me with his great gunfights his violence and his action marriott's script is just dirty and mean as any classic spaghetti western while the first issue doesn't really go into the full supernatural where this story goes eventually the group is fighting werewolves and vampires and whatnot this issue is really just hinting at that but it sets up for such a great payoff and i want to say i think it's in issue three or four where we finally learn that one of the characters they're tracking is a full-on fucking vampire this i'm giving this a huge buy it because it pretended to just be a good western from issue one and it turns out to be so much more i love this series so yeah i mean it's got a lot of layers uh real quick though uh just to answer an earlier question uh john cassidy's first published work in 1995 was in caliber comics's negative burn uh which was an anthology series he did a few other things uh he he went on to do uh a few issues of ghost for dark horse remember ghost Oh, I loved Ghost. God, I love that book. Uh, but within a year, he was uh, picked up as the main artist on Desperados. Okay. So like, he, he was maybe a year into his career. But yeah, this comic rules. Uh, I've, I'd never actually read it. Uh, I knew that I knew that what it was, and I knew Cassidy was on the art. Um, but I just had I'd never sat down to read it. Uh, it did have like one mini in the late 90s, and then it was like, a decade later that it came back with another mini they they did another one yeah they did two that were pretty close and then they did another one like 10 years later right and uh it's it's so good uh the 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 writing is tense uh the main characters they are bad people but oh, yeah. uh, they are very fun to read about but you like need bad people like this to do the job that they have to do and that's a thing oh the stuff with the 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 foreshadowing uh, about the villain where it's like the, the scene about the the main guy finding his family yeah in the cabin is chilling it's chilling uh, and you're talking to really terrible people that have like met people like awful 
killers, psychopaths, the worst the West have. And they're like, I ain't never met nobody like this guy before. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like talking about something way worse than them. <laughs> uh, yeah, I loved it. I'm giving it a buy it. It's really good. My final review takes us to the year 2009, practically the future. It's Jonah Hex number 50 from DC Comics. The Jonah Hex relaunch of the mid-2000s was an incredible series. Really helmed was. by Justin Gray, Jimmy Palmiotti, and a host of phenomenal artistic talent. For the most part, the series featured done-in-one stories illustrated by the likes of Luke Ross, Jordi Bernay, and my favorite comic artist of all time, the late Darwin Cook. R.I.P. Oh. In this issue, a quiet moment of tenderness between Hex and his on-again, off-again bounty hunter lover, Tallulah Black. Which is just the best name. It's God, that such, is such a good a name. sexy name. <laughs> uh, it eventually leads to a moment of horrific savagery that sets Hex on a vengeful path to take down a literal army of 50 outlaws. Issue 50, get it? Gray and Palmiotti's script, appropriately titled The Great Silence, gives plenty of space for Cook's art to do the talking as Hex and, Bl and Black mow through legions of bounties. Cook's breathtaking art serves as a reminder that he was one of the greatest talents of the modern age, while the story reinforces the consequences that Jonah and Tallulah suffer for the lives that they've led and the choices that they've made. There ain't no happiness for two people like this. No, no. Jonah Hex issue 50 is a remarkable piece of storytelling about two broken people and the consequences they face when they try to find just a little bit of contentment. I'm giving it a huge buy it. Yeah, th this whole series really deconstructed Jonah Hex and made him more human than he's ever been. And in doing so, revealed how tortured and awful this character's life really is and this issue it man this is an incredible issue it's brutal. from an incredible series it, it, it's wonderful feel bad comic booking i couldn't give this a bigger bite it's, it's just so like, incredible the way that they build tension like you yeah. know jonah hex is gonna win he's jonah hex Right. This isn't the final issue. He's going to survive. Right. But the way they build tension throughout the uh, throughout the uh the throughout the pages as like time passes and the outlaws get uh complacent. Oh yeah. And some of them are in the bar they're just like, <laughs> "What? He's dead. He's probably died of exposure out there." And meanwhile, like people are just dropping dead outside left and right. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> My final review is of Shaolin Cowboy, number one, from Burly Man 2004. You may remember last week when we talked about monsters, I mentioned a, no, pardon me, two weeks ago, when we talked about monsters, I mentioned another Burly Man comic. And I'm going to be real honest with you. I chose this Western theme just so I could revisit this comic book. I knew that. Jeff Darrow is one of my favorite artists in the comic business, and it has been years since we've seen any of his work. He's done some fill-in stuff. He's done some covers here and there, but he just doesn't draw issues anymore. This wonderful, weird comic is part of yet another Burly Man book that I hold very near and dear to my heart. It was a joy to revisit this issue. There is very little dialogue here. I should mention that Darrow writes the comic too. 
And the dialogue that is here is bizarre and fun and so well written. But the most important thing in this comic is the violence. This is the first time that we meet the Shaolin cowboy who rides his talking mule through what seems to be a near future dystopian West. He's an unassuming short fat monk in a cowboy shirt and jeans with a green visor that you might see at a blackjack table in the 1970s. Like he's dressed like a TV cowboy. Kind of. Yeah. With the bright red shirt and the, yeah. But where he's from is not important where he's going. It doesn't matter. At the end of this issue, you will understand one profound fact about the main character. He is a killing machine. He is a bloodied weapon in the hand of God. Whoa. (laughs) A quiet butcher with a sword surrounded by filthy gangs with guns. And he cuts his way through roughly 200 of them in this first issue. (laughs) Darrow's art is beyond detailed. There is literally a three-page series of panels that introduces the gang members, just a, a swath of gang members that the Shaolin Cowboy is about to kill and every one of them is fully detailed and realized there's like a guy with like flies buzzing around him and like a woman that's wearing like a weird chrome bikini they all are characters that there's probably a story about and when the shaolin cowboy starts to cut them in half and cut their heads into segments and cut their bullets into pieces and redirect them at them i I cannot say enough about the violence in this <laughs> like, comic book. When he when he first brandishes his sword uh against the leader of the gang and he does you know he does that thing that they do in action movies where there's like a quick swoosh swoosh. Right. And then he like does a he like he does an upward kick and you see the thinnest slice you're basically a of, steak. Yeah, like a like a slab of bologna. <laughs> right. It's Slide like, out of the shoot out of the back of that guy's throat. Right. The gang leader's throat and two dogs yeah. wrestle. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> this book is incredible. It makes very little sense and it barely tells a story. But my favorite part is the very end. Like after you've flip through page after page of violent gore like death metal gore there's a page of the character in his shaolin like old school monk costume it's an old black and white photograph and it says (laughs) a picture of the shaolin monk one day before he was quote unquote asked to leave the monastery (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah Yep. I cannot give this a bigger buy it. This series is a fucking masterpiece of comic book violence. <laughs> uh, boy, let me tell you, I, this is really, it's just an artistic showcase. And that's really mm-hmm. all there is to it. Uh, yeah. there, there was a Shaolin Cowboy revival uh, at Dark Horse. Also great. That came out. Also great. That came out while we were doing the show. Yeah. And I believe I was kind of hard on it because the first issue is literally 20 pages of him kicking people in the face. And yeah, that's there's it. no wood. There's no, dialogue there's whatsoever. nothing. There's no story. But, there's nothing. But 
that's what it's about. And that I guess I kind of yeah, I kind of come around to the idea that that's sort of what you want with a book like Shaolin Cowboy. Yes. Um, it, the art is incredible. Uh, the first thing you see front and center on the splash page where the character is introduced uh, is the centrally framed shriveled nutsack of his donkey. <laughs> yes. Uh, because he's chosen to position the camera from a low centered angle. <laughs> it's also, a, he's a talking donkey. By he's the a way. talking donkey. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And you know what? A number of those dudes decided to show up to the fight with no pants on. Yeah. Here's your swinging dicks, Marvel Max. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's such a gorgeous comic book. Oh my god. And it's, it's amazing. A, the the choreography of the fighting is just a joy to to look at. It, I'm giving it's it a truly stunning well. and you can totally understand why someone like the Wachowski brothers got a hold of this and said, pardon me, this Wachowski siblings got a hold of this and said, "Yeah, we'll put that comic out." Fuck yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> didn't Jeff Darrow do a bunch of storyboards for The Matrix? He did. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's how they met. You're right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an incredible piece of art. It's a buy it. Thwack, swish, blap. That is your Western-themed spotlight reviews for this week. Thwack, swish, blap. It is the sound of the Ghost Rider knocking a rifle out of the hands of a no-good Nick, as seen in the pages of Ghost Rider number one. I don't really get the blap part. I'm not <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure where the blap is coming from. Blap sounds like he like thwacked him in the face and then he swished really fast and then he slapped him on his naked butt. And yeah, like, blap. <laughs> I don't know. This onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by Matt. Uh, but if That's you right. want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, you can post it to any of our social media accounts or send an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Better yet, call us, make the noise with your mouth. Tell us where it came from, and we will play it on the show. Now, it is important. Nobody has ever done that. Noise with your mouth and not anything else. Okay, Please, yes. Put that Come on. on. This <laughs> is a family show. <laughs> We're not putting that on the air. Joe, we've been rounding up little doggies and gunning down varmints all day. I got to say, I'm exhausted. What do you say we retire to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, son? And shake the magic eight ball of Marduk to reveal our theme for next week's reviews. Let's see what we've got here. Looks like it's Ladies Night in the Ziggurat. That's right. Next week, we are reviewing comics featuring superheroines or female creators. Or both. That's right. It's lady power time. So stay tuned to our Facebook and Twitter to see which issues we'll be reading. And you can play along at home. Now, Joey, let's peer in the cursed mirror of Cathan. What is the random trade of the week for this week? Well, you know, we like to stick to the theme, so... And, believe it or not, not a single Jonah Hex trade in stock. <laughs> really? Yep. That, that's ridiculous. Not it even is. Darwin Cook shit? Nothing. God, that is shameful. That is shameful. So, the THN trade of the week... Goes to Rawhide Clid Slap Leather. It's a hardcover from Marvel Comics, written by Ron Zimmerman with art by John Severin. It's 120 pages for $24.99. Here's your solicit. A true legend isn't made, it's born. His name was Johnny Bart, but most everybody called him Rawhide Kid. Where he was from and where he would remain, like most legends, is cloaked in mystery. But one thing was for sure. If you saw the kid riding into your town, things would never be the same again. This is one such tale. 
Howard Stern show writer Ron Zimmerman and legendary Western comic artist John Severin take aim at the lovable redheaded Western scamp we know as the Rawhide Kid. The whole scamp thing really kind of undercuts the whole legendary gunfighter thing that they set up <laughs> at the beginning. Right. What happens when the Rawhide Kid arrives into one of those beleaguered Western towns on the edge of nowhere, looking better than any cowboy has a right to? What happens when a gang of desperados ride into that same town with the intent on looting and pillaging? This collects the intelligent. Yeah, you know it. <laughs> this collects the entire first miniseries Rawhide Kid one through five, and you can find it at your local comic shop. Speaking of which, go and pick this up, or just pick up whatever. You don't have to read this. You don't want to? Fine. Pick something else up, but your local comic shop needs your help right now. <laughs> Now, normally we'd be priming for FCBD, and that's what the cool kids call Free Comic Book Day. And the kickoff of the Big Two's huge summer event crossovers, but not this year. I don't know if you've heard. There's this whole global pandemic thing that kind of threw a monkey wrench in the comic book shipping. Yeah, it's true. We're not going to let that stop us here, kids. Instead, we are tackling the first and possibly the biggest Marvel crossover limited series ever printed. It is time for TLDR, the contest of champions edition. The first and definitely the smallest <laughs> Marvel event ever published. It's true. For some reason, I thought this was like contest of champions. When I think about it, it's like, well, that's got to be at least 12 issues, right? Nope. Nope. Three. It's three. <laughs> and it wasn't even a crossover. This was just no. all self-contained into this one book. It was probably it's it was, all one thing. This was written yeah. by Bill Mantlo, Mark Grunwald, and Stephen Grant. It took three guys to write this. Well, but the, the story was by Mantlo, Grunwald, and Grant, but the script was by Mantlo himself. Right. Now, here's the problem with that. This was inspired by the 1980s Summer Olympics, but the U.S. boycotted the Olympics that year because the Olympics were allowing the Soviet Union and they had just invaded Afghanistan. So we took a stand and said, fuck that. We're not going to be the Olympics. Marvel had already written this as this contest of Marvel superheroes and different athletic competitions. But when the U.S. canceled the Olympics, they thought, maybe it's not such a good look. We'll put this on the back burner two years later. This would come out as in contest fact, of champions. Yeah. In fact, it was originally going to be a, a treasury edition one shot. That's true. We somehow stretched it into three issues with art by a very young John Romita Jr. and Bob Layton here. I did not even recognize this as J.R. Jr. art. It's true. I mean, like it's unrecognizable. Yeah, I mean, the style that he would come to develop, it takes a while for him to get into it. Probably more closer to the mid-80s before he starts to look like himself. Probably more towards the, the mid-80s before Ramita Jr. starts to look more like the Ramita Jr. we recognize. Okay, because this was, this definitely, there was a lot of Bob Layton here that I could see and go. Well, and also Ramita Jr., when he got his start, he was drawing in a very similar, like, classic house style very inspired so. by the art of his dad, John Ramita Sr., uh, who would eventually be like the art director at Marvel. And so, right. yeah, it was a very like a, a very generic superhero house style. So let's get into it. Issue one, 
two elders of the universe, the Grandmaster and the Unknown. Pick champions for a game. It's so obvious who the Unknown is, by the way, in retrospect. Yeah, really. <laughs> I wonder if this, is her, if this is her first appearance then. Quite possibly. Because I don't they, know. Like, well, we'll get to that later. Let's get to that later because I don't right. want to spoil anything for anyone who's listening to this. <laughs> the Grandmaster and the Unknown pick a group of champions for a game. Now, they don't just pick a group of champions. They kidnap every single hero and villain in the Marvel Universe and basically bring them to a giant sports arena in space. <laughs> right. Uh, they they bring every Marvel Universe superhero and only use two dozen of them. <laughs> yeah, th that's the thing that gets me. It's like <laughs> they know they want to do this. And the whole idea is the Grandmaster has a bet with the unknown that like, look, I'm going to pick some champions. You're going to pick some champions. And whoever wins this game, it, well, if I win, we're going to bring back my bro, the Collector. Yes. Who was killed in the Korvac saga, right? The Korvac saga, correct. Okay. And he's he's been on shape about it. This is the, the guy that Benicio Del Toro plays in the Guardians. Right. And the Grandmaster is Jeff Goldblum. Right. From Paul and Ragnarok. The, and the other part of this is like, if they lose, well, nothing changes. That's that. He stays dead. <laughs> you know, basically. There had to, oh, no. No, that was it. If he loses, they just he just stays dead. That was the stakes. Like I, the, didn't maybe the, the Grandmaster agree to also die? No. The unknown gains nothing, from what I understand. <laughs> he just like it, is, it is pretty unclear. The unknown was just like, yeah, fuck it, I'll play, whatever. There's a lot of bamf work. No nightcrawler, by the way, here, but there is a lot of bamf as everyone that you can possibly think of is kidnapped and pulled up into the international pardon me the universal sports arena that they show <laughs> yeah. up in alpha flight gets a huge feature here <laughs> red wolf gets a panel everyone is kidnapped including an international cast of new heroes that you will never see again peregrine from france blitzkrieg from germany which i thought like that's fairly inappropriate but it turns out blitzkrieg was not a word that was used by the germans americans came up with that term so perfectly fine okay. defensor from argentina shamrock the female hero from ireland Sabra from Israel and the collective man from China who had the powers of five gifted men from China. <laughs> he's like a, he's like the running man from Tick, from the Tick, sort who's of. as fast as 10 fast men. Right. But he can also split into five dudes that are also all clothed for some reason. Yeah. I mean, he, it's a very multiple man kind of thing. Uh, but he can also summon the power of the Chinese people. Yes, he can summon the strength of the Chinese people. We see him summon up the strength of up to 10,000 of his countrymen. And it takes point. a toll. And I want to address right. this real quick, because when they were talking about his powers, I very quickly stopped to do the math. <laughs> I was like, okay, if he can summon the strength of the entire population of China. Well, and he let's, can. And I know, but, and let's be generous and say that on average, each person can lift 100 pounds. <laughs> That's not a lot. I mean, it's not a lot, but if you're summoning the strength of 
of a billion people that can lift 100 pounds. <laughs> right. That is Hulk level strength. 500 million tons. <laughs> yeah, you're at, you're at Hulk level strength there. Uh, but no, I very quickly, uh, like minutes later, I read the scene where it's like, it's a real strain if he even goes above right. like 10,000. <laughs> and finally, the Arabian Knight from Lubbock, Texas. No, I'm just kidding. He's from Saudi Arabia. He rides a <laughs> carpet and he wears a fucking turban. <laughs> He's got a scimitar. The whole shebang. The entire Marvel U appears in this giant sports arena and the Falcon is front and center crying his eyes out. He's not crying. <laughs> it's this scene where everyone is standing there like, what? Huh? Uh? He's rubbing his Falcon eyes from the blinding light of the teleport. rubbing his eyes and it looks like he is bawling. <laughs> I love you it. don't see any tears. <laughs> Thor is asking Icarus the Eternal what the fuck just happened. Rom is flirting with Jocasta, which is Great. <laughs> Iceman is saying hey to his ex, Darkstar, which I don't remember them dating at all. Uh, she was in the Champions briefly. Okay. Yeah, Darkstar from the Soviet Super Soldiers because she used to be a champion. Right. And the Champions, as I read it, was sort of this like laughed off series that was like Hercules was the team leader. It was Hercules, Black Widow, Ghost Rider, Angel, Iceman. God. What were they thinking? Uh, yeah, and then later on, Darkstar. Uh, there may have been another that I'm forgetting. But yeah, it was just like, hey, leftovers. <laughs> <laughs> the Grandmaster shows up, and I picture him sounding like Tim Curry's Frankenfurter from the Rocky Horror Picture Show, when it sort of meets like Marky Smith, the singer of The Fall, and is like, welcome, Marvel heroes. You have been brought here. For a game. <laughs> it's so bizarre. And everyone, every hero in, in villain, regardless in this book, has the same exact voice. The only thing that separates them is the fact that they are constantly mentioning either where they are <laughs> from or their specific power. <laughs> uh, Sasquatch is constantly mentioning being covered in sweaty fur. Oh, yeah. And like uh, Shamrock is like, well, look at the Irish. Oh, brother. Oh. It's, it, it was super fun to try and name all the characters in each panel. I will say that. Like every time I turned a page, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> like yeah that is uh there's definitely quasar that's gotta be stingray you know? <laughs> now some of these uh some of these international characters did return um i think probably the the one that ended up being the most famous was sabra uh, Sabra who, definitely showed up in the X-Men a few yeah, times. Yeah, and she was in the that. Hulk, uh, Peter David's Hulk a couple yeah, times. Yeah, that's right. Um, I remember very distinctly there was an issue of Avengers Spotlight or whatever that title was called where it was like Hawkeye team up basically. Yeah. Where Hawkeye teams up with La Peregrine. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I, um, I don't remember that. I don't yeah. remember seeing the Peregrine again. And also, uh, and also Sandman back when he was a good guy. I love that comic. Fair enough. Uh, and then so, Shamrock appears uh, very late in the run of Jim Valentino's Guardians of the Galaxy from the 90s. Well, Shamrock does? Yeah, I think she actually becomes a member of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, my God. I know. So the Grandmaster and the Unknown kidnap 
every Marvel hero and villain so they can then pick 12. 12 <laughs> to compete yep. in the game of find the four pieces of the Golden Globe of Life. My question is, why do you have to kidnap everybody to do this? They effectively freeze the entire planet. So, yeah. like, everybody on Earth is holding still. Why well, not gotta, just take I mean, the you gotta, 12 look, man, you want? You got to pick teams from a larger roster. But I'm just saying, you're the Grandmaster and the unknown, you're cosmic beings. Why not just pluck those 12 and fuck the sports arena? Because literally everybody else just stands around waiting for these 12 people to do their thing. Um, I also <laughs> refuse to believe that Shamrock is a better choice for any team than almost literally any character. <laughs> and here Quasar. are teams. Quasar was right there. <laughs> right. Yeah, like cosmically powered Quasar is there. The silver fucking surfer is there. You know? Here are your teams. The Grandmaster chooses Captain America. All right, makes sense. Talisman, not that talisman. This is Australian talisman. Dark Star, Captain Britain, Wolverine, Defensor, who's essentially a dude with a shield, Sasquatch, Daredevil, Peregrine, She-Hulk, The Thing, and Blitzkrieg. The Unknowns team consists of Iron Man, Vanguard, Iron Fist, Shamrock, Storm, Arabian Knight, Sabra, Invisible Girl, Angel, Black Panther, Sunfire, and the Collective Man. Oh, also Collective Man. Uh, I think he was a. He showed up during like the Initiative era. They Did they he? trotted him back out again. Oh, yeah. I don't remember that at all. Now, one of my questions is like, I I get it. This is in 1982. It came out. They wrote yeah. it in 1980. But right. 1982, it came out. A lot of these heroes are just meeting each other for like the very first time. It's the first event. Like Sasquatch is like, oh, Captain America. Yeah, I've heard of you and stuff. And like Iron Fist bumps into Daredevil and is like, oh, Daredevil, we've never met before. Like, really? Yeah. <laughs> like, is that right? I mean, every, they, these relationships got their start somewhere. Fair enough. We move on to issue two. The game begins. Daredevil, Talisman, and Darkstar are sent to the North Pole to challenge Sunfire, Invisible Girl, and Iron Fist. Excellent both teams. Excellent strategic are, planning. <laughs> both teams send, are immediately like, fuck teamwork. I'm just going to do this by myself. <laughs> send your blind ninja, your shirtless aborigine, and Darkstar to the North Pole <laughs> to challenge the guy with fire powers. And they're all thinking, like, uh, I don't really work with a team like this, so I'm just going to do my thing. Right. <laughs> Daredevil and Iron Fist have a fight. Daredevil wins by throwing a snowball at Iron Fist. <laughs> Iron Fist remarks that Daredevil fights like a heavyweight boxer, despite the facts that... that, that Despite the fact that Daredevil is flipping and kung fu kicking. I mean, like this might be... <laughs> This may have been written prior to all of that stuff about him becoming a ninja. I mean, maybe it was, but Daredevil's still doing flips and kicking. Sure. <laughs> but I mean, I, appre I appreciated the reference to, you know, like battling Jack Murdoch taught him how to fight. I get it. I suppose. Uh, but I, I, lo I loved that uh, the Daredevil throws the snowball and then, and then actually thinks, now we're on even footing. Right. <laughs> because he's blind. <laughs> It's like, oh, you're fucked, Iron Fist. I hit you in the face with a snowball. <laughs> Dark Star fights Sunfire, and Sunfire is a mutant with radioactive flame powers. He also has the powers of 
super misogyny. Yeah, and he's, he's just that like, might be his more powerful ability. <laughs> he's straight up like, there is no fucking way I'm letting some bitch beat me. <laughs> uh, that that just pales in comparison to uh, our later our later matchup. Invisible Girl takes on Talisman, who is basically nude he's wearing like <laughs> he's wearing like a loincloth he's got a loincloth and a couple like and then he's covered in things. tattoos yeah and mm-hmm. that's it and he is the only person that is not complaining about the cold everyone else fully clothed iron and i would argue invisible girl could project a force field and be like i mean sure it's chilly but the wind's not bothering me because i have an invisible force field on but everyone is like <laughs> right. i am straight up going to die out here it's so cold yeah, except then, for naked dude who's just like nah, i'm all right <laughs> so but yeah they make such a point about how it's deathly cold right but then daredevil's like i'll jump into the water no problem yeah like literally like they looks and he's like oh I, I guess there's a slice of the golden globe down there i'm just gonna leap into the water and grab it not knowing whether or not i grab it and i have to walk back to outer space <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know like will it be beamed up do i have to scream really loud i don't know he just jumps in grabs it that's the thing here this is a game and they've explained to him that this is a game and we'll get into this in the in one of the fights that's coming up here but like every, no one questions hey like what if we just like team up and sort of like act like we're fighting you're like no they're just like fuck that let's beat each other up yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) so daredevil gets the slice and the winner and the he wins and win one goes to team grandmaster we flash next to iron man arabian knight and sabra as they take on she hulk captain britain which by the way this is cap britain in my favorite classic cap britain yeah oh so cool the red costume when he's got the mace and shit like the union jack kind of or the lion on it the lion of england and defensor and they seem to be fighting in what looks like an old western movie studio setup Uh, isn't it the um isn't it the place with like all the clay soldiers no 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 that's the next fight that's the third fight this is like a weird like hollywood old west like sure studio. oh yeah yeah yep. you're right i'm just mixing no. them up you're right or maybe it's like at some like washed up ghost town somewhere i don't know uh sabra and the arabian knight fucking hate each other because of israeli arab reasons so they're fighting racism she hulk fights iron man and sexism she hulk's outfit by the way at the time was just basically like a torn t-shirt yeah, okay so the hulk wears ripped up pants so obviously the she hulk should have a ripped up nighty Yes. Uh, this is the Savage She-Hulk era. Yeah. Or she's just wearing like a white nightgown that's pretty ripped up. <laughs> she is not putting up with Defensor's machismo bullshit, by the way. And he's just, I will say, in Defensor's defense, he is just being like South American gentleman. He's like, well, maybe the lady should go first. And she's like, fuck you, asshole. I don't need your bullshit. <laughs> you know? Like, Wow. And again, no teamwork whatsoever. Everyone is just like, fuck this. I'm going off my own and I'm just going to fight. Regardless, the Arabian Knight ends up with a slice and the winner goes to team the unknown. <laughs> By the way, 
this is issue two of a three-issue massive crossover, and we go to issue three, Endgame, where we see Wolverine, Peregrine, and the Thing versus Vanguard, Angel, and the Black Panther. Vanguard thinks he should be in charge, obviously, because he's a badass. Black Panther is like, well, I kind of want to sneak around, and Angel's just like, fuck this, I'm going to fly away and go fight the flying guy. Well, uh, Black Panther says, you know what? We've all been team leaders. Those, there's no need for us to to debate this, right? Which I actually thought was pretty cool to see him him be diplomatic. No, yeah, well, it wasn't even like diplomatic. He was just like, okay, if you guys want to act like assholes, go ahead. I'm gonna do my thing. <laughs> you know? Wolverine meets Black Panther for the very first time and understands that this is a game that is being carried out by two cosmic creatures that are forcing us to do this yeah but wolverine's like you know what i don't give a shit i'm gonna fucking murder this guy (laughs) wolverine plays for keeps baby apparently (laughs) the thing fights vanguard in what is a pretty fun fight and the thing ends up winning but everyone even people that are not on wolverine's team turn and are like what is your problem dude <laughs> like, why are you trying to kill him so bad the thing fights vanguard and wins and he gets the slice the winner goes to the grand master next we cut to cap sasquatch and blitzkrieg versus storm the collective man the chinese dude that can split into five clothed dudes and Shamrock, but not that Spidey villain, Shamrock. This one is a woman with a ridiculous Irish accent that speaks like a bad cartoon, literally obsessed with her heritage and luck powers. She can't stop talking about the fact that she's Irish. No. Sasquatch is super hot. He hates the jungle. He's just like, ugh, this is awful. <laughs> Storm can't believe German dude would dare attack her with lightning. And the collective man used the strength of 10,000 of his countrymen to whip Sasquatch's ass. Cap gets attacked by a python, thanks to Shamrock's luck. Yep, powers. that's how luck works. Yeah, <laughs> yep. don't question it. And Shamrock finds a slice in a tree while very awkwardly hanging upside down with her legs wrapped around a branch. <laughs> winner grandmaster three to one boom we go back to the space sports arena where the entirety of the marvel u heroes are hanging around literally narrating everything they see happening like yeah they come back and the grandmaster's like i have won and they cut to a random group of heroes they're like he won he totally won i can't believe he won Grandmaster wants to unite the slices to bring his bro, the collector, back to life. Half of the Marvel U thinks it's a really bad idea. Now, they don't think it's a bad idea because the collector sucks and is a bad guy. They just seem to have a lot of problems with the whole idea of bringing someone back from the dead. Like, they cut to, like, seven different panels of seven different heroes. Like, bringing back from the dead. That's a terrible idea. And like, even like the thing, there's like this scene with things like, you can't come back from the dead. <laughs> they get really deep on it. It's totally bizarre. Talisman, in, during this, Talisman gets so upset by the idea. Okay, that listen. He invites. His name is not Talisman. <laughs> His name is Talisman. I like calling him Talisman. <laughs> 
Talisman invites Invisible Girl into dream time so they can reveal the unknown's real identity. He does this because when he fought the Invisible Girl the first time, he whipped his bolo around and it made these swirls and it didn't bother the Invisible Girl that much. She was just like, eh, whatever. It's weird. I'll be okay here. But he was afraid everybody else would freak out there. So they go and they pull back the unknown's hood. Guess what? It is death. Yeah. And everybody freaks out. Like for four panels, the entire Marvel U is just like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I got to say, this is some of the worst skull anatomy yeah. I have seen since like dudes tried to carve a skull into a desk with a knife in grade school. <laughs> this is uh, a bad skull. <laughs> uh, not only is it the least surprising surprise to anybody that's ever written, writ, uh, read a Marvel comic uh, post 1990, but uh, they also spoiler the, they also spoil the reveal on the cover of issue three. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Now, this has got to be a retrospect thing, right? Like, is this the first appearance of death or lady death, if you will? I don't know. Uh, it's got to be, right? 1982? Or, uh, I mean, I think that I think that the stuff about Thanos worshiping death was probably a part of his original. But even that had to have been after this. No, that was the 70s. Really? Lady Death's first appearance was Captain Marvel number 26, June 1973. Okay, so this whole thing with the unknown, when someone shows up wearing a blue like robe like this with a hood, that has to be Death. We've seen this. So this but, is a shock to no one at the time. But not the characters. Like, why would the characters know that? Well, okay, I that's all good and nice, but as a reader and a writer who is writing for the readers and not these fucking made up characters, that's pretty fucking lame. <laughs> right? I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I get like if they were just trying to play it like, ooh, it's a mysterious cloaked figure. Sure. But all right, whatever. I only know one mysterious, long purple robed, hooded, faceless woman in the Marvel universe. So and that is death. Basically, we learned that the game was rigged and you can't bring back an elder like the collector without someone taking his place in the land of the dead. Now, here's the thing that someone would have to be an elder of the universe. Otherwise, death says that she could she could trade the life of every hero and villain in the Marvel U <laughs> for the collector to come back. Yeah. But the Grandmaster is like, nah. I can't do that. I made these assholes a, a promise. Even though you cheated and this game is totally rigged and you stood to lose nothing, I'm going to hold up my end of the bargain. I'm going to give my life. Bring the collector back. The collector comes back and he is pissed. He turns and he's like, death, you piece of shit. I'm going to collect every hero in the Marvel Universe to defeat you. And death is like, yeah, go for it. I fucking dare you. Boom, book is over. <laughs> yeah, That's it's it. true. <laughs> um, so that was the fun thing about the Grandmaster is that he was obsessed with contests. Right. And so he always followed, like, if he lost, he lost, you know? Right. Now, like, at the end of the day, the game was the most important thing. 
Yes, right. It's not but the destination, it's the journey. <laughs> Why would you play with someone like death? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, this thing is is very weird, uh, and it's obviously something that was maybe not thought through all the way or changed very quickly on the fly. They definitely re-engineered this. No yeah, question. Yeah, yeah. Like repurposed. Like we know it was repurposed from something else. Right. Um. But yeah, it's just like <laughs> it's three issues, and I got halfway through issue two, and I went, wait a minute. Are they really only going to do two contests per issue? (laughs) (laughs) Because we didn't have any in issue number one. (laughs) No, zero, none. (laughs) There were were three in issue two, two in issue three, and the end, (laughs) basically. (laughs) Yeah. And so it's, it's a weird, weirdly, oddly paced little thing. This was the first event. Yeah, this was the first event comic as far as I know. And they uh, built it as the first limited series as the well. The first limited series, yes. And, like, I was confused when we discussed it. I thought for a while that it was Hercules, but they actually mention in the back of issue one that the limited series is a new format. Right. That they're going to be trotting out and that there would be new books coming starring Hercules. And they rattled off a few others. The next one was Hercules, Prince of Power. Yeah. And so, like, as an introduction to both the uh, genre of the event and the format of the limited series, it's kind of a fun little artifact. It is. It's not a good story. No, it's a terrible story. I will give it a buy it for the camp factor. I guess and it's it was, worth reading for the historical perspective. Yeah. And it was fun to see like them, like the first time they put all these heroes in the same room. Right. And like, I, like I had the same reaction as you did at first when some of these characters were like, Oh, hi, nice to meet you, Captain America. I'm so-and-so or whatever. Right. And, and you, you just would have assumed that they already all knew each other. But there were other characters that did know each other where like Stingray, for example, turns to Submariner is like, what the fuck do you think is going on here? And Submariner is like, I don't know, man. I'm going to ask Reed Richards. <laughs> yeah, well, because Stingray like, is from was from Namor's book. That's where he came from. So he oh, already okay. knew Namor. All right. Um, fair enough. But yeah, so like like Thing already knew Quasar or right. somebody already knew Quasar. Captain America, maybe. No, he's the thing. He's like, this is my boy, Quasar. Right, yeah. (laughs) And so, like, yeah, some of these characters had met and and had had adventures, but for the larger, in the larger uh, scheme of things, like, yeah, why would Sasquatch have ever met Captain America before? I mean, I guess. It just blew my mind that, like, Iron Fist had never met Daredevil. I know, it's weird. (laughs) But that was fun to see. It was fun to see those characters, like, encounter each other for the first time. Yeah, no, it was a lot of fun and it was cool to revisit this and see where all this stuff comes from. And you should read it. You absolutely should. I, I'm going to give it a skim it. I'm not going to buy it. I'm going to give it a skim yeah, it. Yeah, I know. It's a skim it for sure because it's not, it's not, it's, first of all, the pacing is terrible. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. uh, like, I don't think I, I'm, I, you will very rarely hear me say, I think that story needed to be longer. I think that event <laughs> needed to be longer. <laughs> oh, <laughs> three issues. Uh, really? <laughs> like for something this big, three fucking issues. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm giving it a skim. It's, it's a fun, fun, goofy thing to encounter for the first time. I will never look at it again. 
No. Excelsior! Oh. <laughs> that is it for THN 571, and next week we promise not to disparage any more cow pokes of your Joe Patrick until such time. Can you give these readers a new question of the week? I can. This week's question was submitted by Jason Sachs via the THN forums. Recently, I watched Disney's The Black Hole, which was not a good movie. Okay, that is bullshit. I fucking love that movie. All right, that's That fine. movie rules. All right, okay. all right. <laughs> but I was kind of thrilled to finally cross it off my to-be-watched list, where it was since the movie came out in 1979. What is a book... TV show, movie, or whatever that you've been meaning to watch and then finally did watch after years of thinking about it and what was your reaction to finally taking in that bit of entertainment? Oh my. I'm gonna really have to think about this one. I've got several candidates. My favorite robot of all time comes from the black hole. Maximilian. That robot is terrifying. <laughs> I love that robot. Uh, now you may have noticed that we're posting other questions on our Facebook and Twitter. Uh, so call us at 402-819-4894 or shoot an MP3 of your answer to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. You could and will be internet famous. Yeah, uh, you it's, can not also, the, it's not a question of could. You will be. Yes. We will collate all of your written and audio responses and put them in a post. It's the all new, all old answer of the week on twoheadednerd.com. Yeah, uh, it's up right now. Check it out. Keep your audio responses to two and a half minutes or less. we got to share that air. But, yeah, thank you to everybody that has uh, participated in the new format so far. If you're new to the show and you would rather revisit the entire body switch genre comedies of the 1980s than listen to another second, I assure you, it is only because you have not heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital longbox archive at TwoHeadedNerd.com. And hosting this many episodes, it ain't cheap. So we want to thank donors like Joe Renkley. That man could be giving money to charities fighting the coronavirus, but he chooses to increase his monthly contribution to THN and had the nerve to tell us not to thank him for it. Guess what? Fuck you, Joe. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a whole fucking lot, Joe. <laughs> Before we go, shit, Rankly. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to our friend Andrea Shockling, who will take part in a female-driven comics anthology called Insider Art to benefit female and non-binary comic book retailers affected by the pandemic. Over 100 creators and editors will take part in the project which will be up on Gumroad, uh, hopefully in June, for a suggested donation of $9.99. Word to you, Andrea. Man, we are so proud of your success. Yeah, she's a warrior princess, and we love her. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just accuse you of being a beta male cuck like us. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. Who called me a beta male cuck? Well, I mean, we're going all ladies next week, so obviously they rule our world and we're not in charge of anything. You know, just a couple of crybaby beta males. <laughs> Check your mangina at the door. 